Bibles and go to Luke 24. Luke 24 this morning. As I mentioned uh, in the last few weeks in God's providence, we are looking in September at the idea of gospel advance. Uh, Last week we were privileged to have with us uh, Daniel Mee. We are grateful for his ministry. We'll have the chance to respond in an offering here in our response hymn. So I know you're preparing for that. Uh, At the end of the month, we'll have two more missionaries with us on that Sunday. Um, So this week and next week, um, what I want to do is just help us evaluate where are we at in connection to the mission that God has given to his church. The question I want us to have in mind or be asking ourselves this week is how are you as a part of this church? The church is God's people. So so how are you actively engaging in Christ's mission to proclaim the gospel to all nations? We'll consider that responsibility from Luke 24 here this morning. And then next week, we're going to look at how are we actively engaging as a church. So how are we thinking about our responsibilities to partner with those who are going? As we send those out to share the gospel, what's our responsibilities to them? How should we be encouraged from God's word in that? So Luke 24 this morning, we'll look at verses 44 through 49 in just a few moments. A young boy asked his mother and grandmother to play with him in his new sandbox in their front yard. He gave them both a shovel and a pail and they gladly put those to use at his direction. As the two women became involved in conversation, they began to notice that people passing by seemed very interested in what they were doing. It was then that they realized that they had become so busy talking together that they hadn't noticed the little boy had gone to the backyard to play, leaving two adult ladies playing in the sandbox. It's easy as time goes by to lose focus on what you're doing and why you're doing it. In this case, losing focus of why they went out to the sandbox, these ladies ended up feeling pretty silly. But it's also not uncommon for churches to lose sight of their mission and end up focusing on all the various and valuable programs that often accompany church life. It's easy for a church family to get focused on themselves, focused on their programs, their building, their plans. So focused that they lose sight of the primary mission. We must be clear about our mission as a church. We're under the authority of a king. A king who's told us what we're supposed to be doing here in this life. As the people of God, we need to be clear about that mission. And how each of us are called to be a part of fulfilling it. Our text this morning reveals to us that Christ, our King, calls every believer to tell others of his offer of forgiveness of sins. Let's look at Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. And these are the words of our Lord. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. 
I think Luke has in mind all the things, the predictions that Jesus gave all throughout his ministry of what he was there to do. He continues that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, all of the Old Testament, he's saying, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. And there he's referring specifically to the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's ask for God's help to understand and apply his word to our lives. Father, we pray that you would shape our minds. You would convict our hearts where we are failing to obey your call. And you would comfort us when we recognize and grieve over our uh, inability, over our lack of faithfulness, over our fear. You would strengthen us by the power of the gospel. You would encourage us that you, you love us and you want us to participate in this mission. That we might honor and glorify you in our obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Now our risen king states with utmost clarity his mission for his followers in this text these words Jesus speaks here may have been spoken at one time in one teaching that Jesus gives or it could be that they represent a summary of what Jesus taught his disciples over his last 40 days with them after his resurrection And we are given a more specific account of the last moments of Jesus' time with his disciples in Acts 1 as it tells us more specifics about his ascension. And what we need to recognize is that Luke and Acts overlap and they interlock. But in our text, those 40 days were vital. Those 40 days with Jesus were vital for what was going to occur in the book of Acts. These are important moments Because we know from our study in the book of Acts a few years ago that the gospel will explode outward from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. It was here in these days that Jesus opened his disciples' understanding to how all of the scriptures pointed to him and that was foundational and important for their message. We'll talk about that as we go. In their sermons in Acts, they would preach Christ from the Old Testament over and over again. Christ's teaching in this passage, though, was not just for those first eyewitnesses of his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. It is for all the followers of Christ. Now, how do we know that? How can we make the point that this is for all believers? There's a specific context to this. Jesus spoke this to his disciples How do we know this is for us? His disciples could never have fulfilled this command on their own in their lifetimes. This is the mission that is referred back to all throughout the New Testament. It's recorded in three of the four Gospels. 
We're still seeking to reach every known people group with the gospel. And if we understand at all what Jesus has done for us, we are eager to tell others about that. Therefore, every follower of Christ the King is called to proclaim this good news. We are to make it the priority in our lives and in our church. I was so grateful to hear Dan's message last week, how he helpfully demonstrated in his sermon that two, as he said, ordinary workers or servants of God were able to invest their lives in the gospel's advance. That's what we're to be doing. Whether you're called to full-time ministry or not, Christians, all of us, are to either be evangelizing or going and giving the gospel as missionaries. So this morning, as we consider this passage together, we'll see four things. The message, the mission, the scope, and the power of Christ's command. First, the message of the king. In verses 44 and 45, Jesus makes sure his disciples understand that the gospel is biblical in its foundations. This was something I hadn't really meditated on before. But as I thought through this passage, this is really helpful and important. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. He's not going to be with them anymore. He's not going to be doing those confirming miracles. And he's going to leave them with this incredible task of continuing to lead men and women to God. How are they going to do that? He says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying, I haven't left you without a word. You have the message. It isn't just that you rely on your memory of what I've said to you. Uh, You have my word. They had to understand that the truth of their message was not just based in their experience. It was not just a new religion or idea that they're supposed to go out and spread. That Jesus was the Messiah who would die for sinners had been taught all throughout the scriptures. They were to understand that their Old Testament told this exact same story as they had witnessed unfold. Jesus is even saying over and over again in his ministry, it is necessary that the Messiah must die. Jesus is connecting his life into the threads of scripture and saying this has been established from before the foundations of the world. This is God's plan. Jesus even is taking comfort in the scriptures. They weren't going to ask people to follow Jesus based on the persuasiveness of their own words and experiences, but based on the scriptures. That's exactly what Luke is doing here in chapter 24. Listen to the emphasis on verbal and written communication. I'm going to walk through just a few verses in chapter 24. The angels said to the women at the tomb in verses 6 and 7, Remember how he told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. 
Now he's going to make more connections. Later on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says to those two disciples, Oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He's saying it was there. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, again, a reference to all of the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here's the point that Jesus is making and Luke is demonstrating. The gospel message is not new. Christianity is not a disruption or offshoot of Judaism. We shouldn't think of it that way. From the very beginning, when God told Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the nations, this was the person, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that God had in mind. This was revealed even earlier when God promised Adam and Eve that one would come who would crush the head of the serpent. This is the eternal plan of God. And Jesus Christ, he's revealing, is the fulfillment of all of those promises. This is the plan. Everything's going according to God's plan. Be confident. Be encouraged. John MacArthur states that the Christ of gospel history did not invent himself, nor is he the invention of a little group of people in the first century He is the unmistakable fulfillment of divine prophecy. That's at the heart. That's at the foundation of the gospel. Now Jesus has to open the minds of his people to understand that this is the message of God for all the ages. That it's no mistake. But even that gives us encouragement. Because it's there. It's solid. We can have great confidence that this is exactly what God designed for us. Now, what exactly is the gospel message that we're to declare? How do we keep focused on the main thing, on our priority? How do we not, for instance, or for example, get left out in that sandbox? We should note carefully the three components that Jesus himself highlights Here in verses 46 and 47. Look back there at verses 46 and 47. Can you see those three components for yourself? He says first that the Christ should suffer. And now follow the ands. And secondly on the third day rise from the dead. And thirdly, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Jesus himself has now succinctly summarized the gospel message for us that we're to share. Understand this message. If you want to begin to share the gospel, highlight these three things. That the sinless son of God willingly died to make a payment for sin in order that the sinner can be forgiven. Now, these are facts of history. History records that Jesus died and rose again the third day. No matter how difficult, no matter how supernatural, no matter how surprising that we're to believe that somebody rose from the dead, there's completely reliable evidence for these facts. In fact, some scholars say there's no fact or event of ancient history that is better attested than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And I want to encourage you this morning that the effectiveness of our sharing the gospel is not based on persuasive reasoning. It's not based on a winsome personality. It's not based on perfect answers to every question that may arise. These three things that Jesus highlights are simple enough for a child to share. And what we see here is that we're called to be faithful to verbally share this gospel message with those who do not yet call him Lord. Notice the word that Jesus gives, we're to proclaim it. We have to tell it. Certainly, good deeds, kindnesses can be accompanied with that. But that's not evangelism without a speaking the truth. This past week in our life group, we were discussing this very thing. One of the members of our group asked specifically about how to share the word. What, what passages would be good to share? And asked us to pray for boldness with them as they seek to take the opportunities the Lord is giving. As we were discussing, another member reminded us of her own personal testimony. She came to Christ as a co-worker, regularly shared Bible verses with her. Over and over again, this believing friend would put a Bible verse there at her desk about her need for Christ. The fact that she was a sinner. The fact that Christ loves sinners and saves them. And at first, the verses didn't make sense. We're not surprised by that, are we? But eventually, the Holy Spirit opened her eyes to understand the truth. To understand her need of Christ. And she turned to trust Christ as her Savior. She worships with us now week after week because a believing friend was willing to share the word. And that made all the difference. Perhaps you could use this same method with a coworker or a neighbor or a friend. Share the word. Share the word. Second, the mission of the king. In verse 47, we come to the very core of what Jesus came to do. We're told that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. He died and rose again so that sinners might live by turning to him from their sins. Now, why is it so important? Why are these Jesus's last words, his most important words. Why is this so much of our time consumed by thinking about this commission? Why is it so important to believe that Jesus died and rose again the third day? Why is it so important to embrace that he is the son of God? Why is it so important to believe that he's the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel, the savior of the world? Why so important? The verse answers for us. So that repentance for the forgiveness of sins can be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So that repentance for forgiveness can be received. What is the core, the message that we must proclaim? It's that forgiveness of sins is possible in Jesus, that people's greatest need in all the world, both this life 
and the next can be met in him and in him alone. We're to spend our lives rejoicing in this one message and sharing it with all those who still need to hear it. We call to them, repent and ask for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Christ. It's available to you. This is a gift we can rightly offer that they can truly receive. This gospel alone has the power to transform a sinner. The gospel truly changes everything, doesn't it? Now, I want you to see this theme of forgiveness of sins. It's important to Luke. It's important to our understanding of the core, the kernel, the central truth of the gospel. So I want to see it traced through Luke's writings, both here in his gospel and in Acts, all the way back at the beginning of this gospel, Luke records John the Baptist's father's prophecy, Zechariah. In chapter 1, verse 77, he says that the coming Messiah will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. As we journey through the gospel, we see John the Baptist in chapter 3. He proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In chapter four, Jesus finally takes center stage. And the first time we hear him speak in the synagogue, he reads from Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who are captive to their sin and recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty to give forgiveness to those who are oppressed. In chapter 5, Jesus heals the man who's dropped in through the ceiling. And what does he say to that man that draws the ire, the ridicule of the religious leaders? He says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. This surprises us as we read through the gospel. We think he'd say, you're, you're well, go ahead and walk. But as healing that man proved that he was truly the son of God, his mission was to forgive sins. The accompanying miracle proved who he was, that he was able to do that. Forgiveness of sins is a, a thread that runs all throughout Jesus' ministry. But I want to show you how Luke and Acts overlap and interlock Peter's first major sermon in Acts comes in chapter 2. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. To the council of the Sanhedrin in chapter 5, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus who you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior in order to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Church family, our mission as followers of Jesus is to proclaim this life-changing gospel. That Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection, has the power to forgive people their sins. We're not here to address all the sins and failures of our society. That's not why God has put us on this earth. 
People do not need better politicians, lower gas prices, or a better economy. That doesn't mean these things aren't important or never to be talked about. But they're not the mission. They need forgiveness of their sins. What are we more passionate to talk about? Perhaps you've come this morning and maybe for the first time in your life, the Spirit is making clear to you that you have never fully embraced Christ and his work for you. He died for your sins. He paid the penalty and suffered God's holy wrath against the sins that you committed. He died in your place and yet was raised again, proving that he was truly the son of God and that his payment for sin was received and accepted by the father. And so Jesus says, those who would know Christ must repent. You must turn from living for yourself. Repentance includes turning 180 degrees away from pursuing what you want in this life. It requires you to turn from your way to his way. It means that you relinquish your claim to the throne of your life and recognize his right to rule over you in every way. J.C. Ryle wrote of repentance. Repentance and remission are not merely elementary truths and milk for babes. This isn't just for unbelievers. The gospel we rejoice in together even as believers. He continues, the highest standard of sanctity or sanctification is nothing more than a continual growth in practical knowledge of two points. The brightest saint is the man who has the most heart-searching sense of his own sinfulness. And the liveliest sense of his own complete acceptance in Christ. Are you growing in repentance? Now let's think for just a moment of all that's meant here in Jesus' offer of forgiveness. And what we're telling people that he offers to them. When you're forgiven, you're moved from death to life. From damnation to no condemnation. It moves you from headed to hell to headed to heaven. It changes you from an enemy of God to his dear friend. It transforms you from being a son of wrath to a son of God. It transfers you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Father's dear Son, a kingdom of life and light. It changes you from being under the authority and uh, uh, dominance of the ruler of this world to being under the authority and influence of his spirit. It changes everything about you from the inside out. I want to give you one illustration of the power of Christ's forgiveness that we see demonstrated here in the book of Acts. Jesus wants to save sinners of every kind, of the worst kind. The vilest offender who truly believes Jesus will not reject. In a summary statement given in Acts 6-7, listen to who's included as some of the first converts into the church of Jerusalem. And the word of God continued to increase. 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These are very likely some of the same men who just two months earlier were some of the most hostile to Jesus. And yet because of Jesus' command, his disciples didn't run from Jerusalem. The scene where Jesus was executed. That would make the most logical sense. They stayed because he told them to stay. They stayed in the city where he was brutally murdered and they shared the gospel with some of those who were most likely responsible for his death. Do you see the power of God to forgive and save even the most unlikely candidates of salvation? Peter would say this in his sermons. You who are guilty of the blood of Jesus, turn to him now and repent and you can be saved. Don't doubt his power to save those around you who seem to be the most closed off to the gospel. Don't doubt the power of the spirit to make his word come alive in their hearts and minds. Pray for it to happen. Now, do you understand this message personally? Do you see its value Do you understand why this gospel is the heartbeat of every true church throughout history? This is the core of our existence as a church, both here and for all eternity. This is what we will worship and celebrate about our God forever. This is the message of our King. Are you sharing it? Number three, the scope of the mission. The last two points will be much briefer. We've read verse 47 already, but notice how far the command extends and expands. Notice the scope. Forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, all peoples, all people groups, beginning in Jerusalem. Now Luke's story of how the disciples begin to fulfill Jesus' words here is recorded in the book of Acts. The geographical scope of Acts 1-8 provides us the outline of the entire book. Judea, or rather Jerusalem, is covered in chapters 1 through 7. Judea and Samaria is covered in chapters 8 through 12 of the book of Acts. And the ends of the earth is 13 through 28. And it's as if, and we've said this as we studied that book, It's as if the end of the story is cut off because it's still going on. As we think about this, Jesus says all nations or all people groups are to hear this proclamation. Notice especially the word all. In Acts 1.8, Luke records the same command as bearing witness to the ends of the earth. It's as if Jerusalem is the center of a pond where a pebble has been thrown into it and the rings of those waves keep expanding farther and farther out from that center until they reach the shore. According to the record of Acts, the apostles themselves had a hard time grasping all that this meant, didn't they? They originally believed the gospel was meant for the Jews. Think about all the hurdles that the Spirit led the early church to overcome in order for the gospel to spread out as he intended. 
He had to bring persecution in Jerusalem for the gospel to begin to move out from that city. He had to give Peter a very distinct vision. An opportunity to share the gospel with Cornelius before he recognized that God wanted to do for that man, that Gentile, what he'd done for him. In Acts 15, the Jerusalem council debates what? How the gospel has gone to the Gentiles and how they're supposed to handle that together. And though Paul always started with the Jews in the Greek and Roman provinces he visited, he was the apostle to the Gentiles and even at a point has to withstand Peter's wrong view of the inclusion of the Gentiles. And yet this has always been God's plan. Genesis 2.28 In your offspring, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 1 Kings 8.43, Solomon prays to Jehovah at the dedication of the temple that all the people of the earth may know your name and hear you as do your people Israel. Isaiah 45.22, God says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. There are many, many other passages that demonstrate God's desire for all the nations to know him. We heard one read from Isaiah 52. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 1, 11, says from the rising of the sun to its setting. So all the earth, my name will be great among the nations. And Christ will have the prize for which he died. Revelation 7, 9 says this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to that Lamb. This is our mission. Have we accepted it? Have we embraced it? Do we love it? Do we proclaim it? Church family, embrace the mission. Perhaps there's a young person in here this morning who would recognize God calling them to give their life to this mission. Perhaps as a pastor proclaiming the word here, perhaps as a missionary ready to go and plant other churches and proclaim the word elsewhere in our world. Whether that's you or not, we're all called to engage fully in this mission. Its scope is massive and we, unfaithful as we are, get to be a part of that. We proclaim this truth as we evangelize the lost around us. And as we partner with those going as missionaries to foreign lands, forgiveness is found in his name. This tells us, this passage tells us people need to be told of the forgiveness they can have in Christ. Who will tell them? Listen to how Paul talks about how Christ is accomplishing this through the church to display his glory, not just to this world, not before a watching world, but before the hosts of heaven. 
Ephesians 3, 8, Paul writes, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles this incalculable riches of Christ, to shed light for all about the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Heaven is paying attention to how the church is fulfilling Christ's mission. They rejoice as they see the gospel do what we cannot do ourselves. This is Christ's plan. Number four, the power for the mission. We must be brief here in this last point. In verse 49, Jesus refers to the power of the spirit that he will give to his disciples. And we know from the book of Acts, he gives it to all who've trusted in him. We get the spirit when we come to Christ. Now here's what this means for us. We share this glorious good news with others dependent on his spirit. Dependent on his power. We can't change the hearts of spiritually dead men and women. The task isn't for us to convince anyone. But this also means that we can be bold and put aside all of our excuses because he accomplishes his work through us as we seek to be faithful and bear witness to this succinct, clear gospel message. The question is that we began with, how are you actively engaging, actively engaging in Christ's mission to proclaim the gospel to all nations? What part are you playing? How can we as a church grow in our focus on Christ's mission? First, we must grow in our love of the gospel Just two points of application. First, we must grow in our love of the gospel. We all naturally share the things that excite our hearts, don't we? For some of you, this week, you've been talking about something that's happening at this time of year, right? The NFL football has come back. And you are telling everybody about your favorite team. And at this time of year, you have great hopes because they haven't lost any games yet. It's natural for us to talk with others about the things which we are most passionate. Brothers and sisters, we need to continue to fall deeply in love with the gospel. As J.C. Ryle put it, are you growing in your understanding of just how deep the depravity of your sin goes? How greatly you needed a savior how greatly you still need the Savior every day. And are you growing secondly in your understanding of how he loves you and accepts you in spite of your unfaithfulness and weakness and sin? Are you growing in your understanding of how deeply you need the gospel? Are you growing more aware of God's awesome holiness and your need to know him better? Are you valuing more and more the perfections of Christ? Are you seeing him more and more clearly? Or is he somebody you put on the shelf till the weekend 
Are you growing in your understanding of the depth of his suffering for you? The gospel tells me that God loves me even when I'm unfaithful to follow this important command. The gospel frees me from being afraid of what others think about me and my beliefs about him because he loves me and he accepts me no matter what. And even if somebody takes my life, as we see in the book of Acts, they can't take my soul away from being united to Christ. The gospel motivates me to bear witness because I'm growing in my understanding of all that he's done for me. How could I not talk about him if I'm understanding the gospel well? Church family, I want us to be clear about the mission that we've been called to and our utter inability to accomplish it in our own strength, skills, or wisdom. Just think about it. We are called to speak to spiritually dead people and tell them things that they cannot understand. It's not up to us. That's the point. We're to speak to those who do not truly seek for God to be their king. We're to speak to those who are in rebellion, active rebellion, no matter how nice they look on the outside. If they're without Christ, they're living in active rebellion with their fist in the face of their maker. We're talking to those who must turn from their sins or they will perish eternally for rejecting his right to rule over them. There are no human words that can cause a man, woman, or child to live. You don't have the words. You're not persuasive enough. There's not a length of time where you can learn evangelistic programs that will make you convincing. That's not what it's about. Only the Spirit can convince a sinner of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But we can pray. And we can speak. And we can give the word. And let God give the increase. The fruit is up to God. Faithfulness is our responsibility. He encourages us. He invites us. He commands us to be a part of this incredible work. Have you ever shared Christ with someone and just been amazed that you got to open your mouth about this news? When was the last time you shared with somebody who needed to know Christ that they could know him? What a joy we get to be a witness to bear testimony that this is true and has worked in our life. That's a joy in and of itself. How can we grow as a church in our focus on Christ's mission? We must grow in our dependence on him through prayer. What a great weapon and one we often fail to use. We're to pray that the spirit of Christ would open the minds of those with whom you are seeking to share the gospel Church family, if we're not praying for those we want to share the gospel with, we won't share it with them. That's the way God unites our heart to his in his desire for them to hear this good news. 
Pray that he would help them to understand the incredible, eternal danger that their sins place them in. We're to pray that he would help them to see and know that Christ alone is the only one able to forgive their sins because he willingly laid his life down for them. That he conquered death by his resurrection. We're to pray that the Lord would help you see those within your sphere of influence in need. Isn't that the problem for us many times? We just see them as somebody going about their day, their life. They're just a neighbor or friend or a coworker. We don't see them as a soul in eternal need. Pray for those you want to share the gospel with regularly and continually. Pastor and author S.D. Gordon wrote in one of his books describing a group preparing for an ascent on Mount Blanc in the Swiss Alps. He writes, on the evening before the climb, a French guide outlined the prerequisite for success. He wrote, you will only reach the top by setting aside all the unnecessary accessories and carrying only essentials. A young Englishman in the group disagreed and proceeded along the path by himself. The following morning, he set out, not only carrying climbing equipment, but a blanket, large pieces of cheese, a bottle of wine, some bars of chocolate, and camera equipment. He wanted to have a nice journey. The guide then stated, the group set off behind the Englishman and soon found along the way his blanket and his cheese, his wine, his chocolate, his camera. And finally, they discovered him at the top, minus all of his accessories. This pastor, S.D. Gordon, then made the following application. So many people, when they find they can't reach the top with all their stuff, they let the top go. They stop climbing and pitch their tents in the plain. And the plain is so very full of tents. So many people who've stopped pursuing the mission. So we're to ask him, To help us set all of the non-essential stuff of this life. Help us to set it to the side. Ask him to help us to begin to do what we've been called to do. And speak, proclaim, tell these three simple truths. Christ died, he was raised, and he can forgive you of your sins. We're to proclaim the gospel wherever God has placed us. Let's close with prayer. God in heaven, we are humbled by the truth of the gospel. This is an amazing message that should consume our hearts and minds. It should control the direction of our lives. And yet so often it does not. Lord, you are the king. You've told us what your passion and your mission and your desire for us is. Help us to see that as good and right and glorious. Help us to lay aside the weights that so easily beset us and follow you. Lord, we need your help. We confess we do not do this faithfully. We cannot. We need your grace. And yet we know it's available. 
So help us to run the race set before us. Help us to look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.